Would you please open your Bible to Romans chapter 7? You can find that in your pew Bible on page 943. We're continuing our series through the book of Romans, and, and we jump back into Paul explaining what it means to be uh, sanctified in Christ, what it means to become holy. And he's talking about, last week, the written code being left behind, and now we're living uh, by the Spirit of God. So he's going to address this question, well, if we're living by, by God's Spirit and truth, then maybe we don't need God's written law anymore. Maybe, actually, it's a bad thing. And the Apostle will teach us it's, it's anything but a bad thing. It's a very good thing and helpful for us Christians as we seek to live to honor our Lord. So follow along with me as we read from Romans chapter 7, verses 7 to 13. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing the opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means it was sin, producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord God, please... Teach us to know and identify sin as sin. And help us, Lord, to understand the the meaning of the law and the gospel and how the two work together for your good purposes. And Lord, as we uh, are here, many of us know in our hearts there's there's something going on in which we know we're struggling in in our walk with you. Pray, God, that you would speak into those situations, and I pray, Lord, that you bring a special grace into our lives today. God, that this, this heady and perhaps confusing passage would become more clear and personal and impactful in our lives, and that you would do that, Lord, through the humble words that I've prepared. You would speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. After I graduated from college, I worked for two years at a residential and school program for severe, emotionally disturbed boys. Uh, I didn't have a lot of, of training in college for the work that I was about to do, but I had studied psychology and thought that I was going to go into child therapy or working with children, and I thought this would be a wonderful opportunity to get, uh, to get in the deep end. So after two weeks of training, which consisted of of learning how to restrain children uh, that might be uncontrollable, learning how to de-escalate these young boys who have lost all sense of of control, realizing that I'm completely unprepared for what's about to happen. I started my first day. And I'll never forget, my first day at the school was a day of playing baseball with the boys. 
And I was the pitcher. And that very first day, I remember I struck a little boy, uh, not a little boy, a big boy named Sean out three strikes and he was out. And I, I should have been watching the counselors as they were sitting back. No, don't strike Sean out. Don't, no, no. Give him right, right down the middle. I'm, I'm striking him out. I feel pretty good about myself. Well, Sean welcomed me to the program by charging the mound with a baseball bat. So that was my introduction to the program. I learned in this job that what I was there to be was to be a, a loving, helpful presence of calm, to provide for these boys a safe environment. The best that I could do was to try to help them understand right from wrong, to, to raise them up in, in a way to be a surrogate father or, or a big brother to them. They had therapy and counseling and, and, and meds and all kinds of professional work, but my job became very, very simple. To provide a safe place, to teach them by example, and hopefully at the end, to help them get all the way home. God spoke in the Bible very simply and in a straightforward way to show us how to live right and how to get right with God so that we could get all the way home. God speaks in the Bible, the reformer said, in two parts of speech, law and gospel. The law tells us how to live right for God. And the gospel shows us how to get right with God. The law tells us what to do, and the gospel tells us what has been done for us by God. So as you look through scripture, you can think about those two themes and think, what part of speech is God speaking to me in this passage and to the church? Now, if I'm right about that, that distinction between law and gospel, between teaching us how to live right and how to get right, here's a question for our passage this morning in Romans 7. Which part of speech is Paul writing in? Is it to tell us how to live right or how to get right with God? Well, I think it's a bit of both. Because you see, in Romans 7, the Apostle Paul explains that the law plays a very important function for the sake of the gospel. And that function is to expose sin in our lives. Just as a physician orders a PET scan to detect cancer or a brain disorder or a heart condition for her patients, so the law works like a powerful diagnostic tool to expose sin. And as we'll see in this passage, it doesn't only expose the sin, it, it aggravates it. it, it brings it up to the surface so that the, the underlying spiritual condition in which we find ourselves can be handled and dealt with by God's grace. So if we didn't have the law, as Paul's asking here in this question that's rhetorically asked, if the law is somehow bad, then, then that purpose would be lost. He says, no, it serves a very, very important purpose and role in your life if you're a Christian this morning. It serves to show you how, what pleases God, and it points you in the right direction so you can go all the way home. What strikes me when I read Romans 7, 7 to 13, and, and on the way through the whole chapter that we'll look at again more so next week, is that in, in this discussion of 
heavy theology of, of sanctification, that, that is, uh, how, how to become made holy. And in this discussion of a struggle with lawlessness that, that's being unholy, that Paul, the, the pastor, gets very personal. He takes these heady, complicated theological terms and he, and he brings it down and he makes it so personal that you'll see here he refers to himself no less than ten times. He says that he, Paul, never would have come to know sin if it had not been for the law of God. All people have a dim awareness of right and wrong, but God lays down his law completely in the Bible. Now, how is that a good thing? Well, Paul's telling us in the morning's passage, it shows us our need. It shows us those areas in our life that he still has work to be done in us to perfect us, to make us more like Christ. So Paul makes it personal. I take my cue from Paul. That's why when we talk about sin and we talk about passage like this, their struggle, I talk about my own sin, my own struggle, because it's personal, because we are all in process together. And so let's look at what Paul says. He gets very personal, and he talks about not knowing what it means to covet if the law hadn't said you shall not covet. I think it's very interesting that Paul uses the 10th commandment of the 10. He uses the 10th commandment as an example of breaking a relationship with our neighbor. Coveting means to, to desire what others have. Desire your neighbor's house or their car or their position or their career. But it also breaks our relationship with God. So on the surface, it's a broken relationship with the neighbor, but those desires get to the inner, deeper issues that are spiritually at work in us. And the underlying issue is a broken relationship with our maker. When we covet, it shows that we have lost our contentment in all that God is for us in Christ. So when I sin, when, when I I yearn for other things to make up the difference, something lacking in my life. It's because that God, God is not enough. And so a house goes on the market across the street uh, from my house, and I, I go on a tour of the house. Someone that we know is selling a house across the street. It's much bigger than my house. It's a great price. I think, gosh, I wish I lived across the street. God's provided everything I need. Why am I worried about this house across the street? The spirit begins to work and get to the underlining issues of my struggle. Breaking our relationship with a neighbor, breaking our relationship with God. Lawlessness, sinfulness, is not about breaking some abstract moral code. It's about breaking relationship with God. Because it's only when God is in his rightful place that all the other things in my life fall into place. Paul says that sin seized an opportunity. It's almost as if he personifies sin. He says, sin seized an opportunity afforded by the commandment and produced in him, quote, all kinds of covetousness. He's saying the command to keep his desires in check triggered a reaction in him that made him desire 
other things all the more. When he saw that, he saw that there was an underlying disease that had to be worked out of him. Can you relate to that? I can. I can see how those surface sins go deeper and deeper still. The Heidelberg question 113, the pastor Andy led us and really gets to the heart of it. It says, what is required of the 10th commandment? That we should never ever allow to enter our heart even the least inclination or thought contrary to any commandment of God. Now tell me by a show of hands, can anyone here say that every day, all day, all the time, you can keep that commandment? It can't be done. Not without the gospel of grace. You see, that's where Paul is going. He's leading us to our need. The law points to righteousness, but it can't produce it. It shows us what is good and right, but it can't make us godly and righteous. Only the gospel can do that. And that's Paul's point here. The law exposes, but only the gospel exonerates. The law may curtail bad behavior. You may look good on the outside, but only grace can transform you and me from the inside out. Look at verse 9. It says, I, once, I was once alive apart from the law. Stop there. That means that there was a time when I felt secure, under no conviction by sin. There was a time when the full implications of God's holy good and perfect precepts hadn't registered in my heart or my head. I thought that I was doing pretty well. I was pretty moral. I was a good person, a good citizen, like the rich young ruler that comes to Jesus and says, even from my childhood, I've kept all of the commandments. What else must I do? But I was making that assessment on my own. And what the law does is it tells us my assessment, my feelings are not the measure of right and wrong. It's not up to me to decide good and bad. It's not up to me to decide what is true and what is fiction. The law comes and says there's a standard by Almighty God that has been laid down and clarified and it is explicitly in God's word. That God is the measure of right and wrong. That God is the measure of the seasons. He dictates whether it's winter or spring summer or fall. It doesn't matter how I feel about it. It is what it is. Back to verse 9. But when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. What does that mean? It means when, when it was brought home to me, what the law really demanded, no less than all of my heart and soul and mind and strength and desiring God, that's when I realized what a great sinner I was. And that's when what Paul says here, he says, that's when I died. Meaning that's when I came to the end of myself. Have you come to the end of yourself? Have you come to that point when you realize, I cannot live this Christian life all on my own strength? And if you have, if you've said, Jesus is my Lord, but I still struggle in this area of my life, in this area of my life. There's still this hidden 
darkness or, or habit or issue. I, I, maybe I shouldn't come to church anymore. Maybe I got to go work it out. No, friends, don't you see? That's the point. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, bringing those things up and working them out of your lives. It's always been true and always has remained true that if you could perfectly love God with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, that would be enough to bring you to life and salvation. But none of us can do it. Not one person in the whole world could ever live up to God's standard except God alone. Here's the reality. Our only hope and victory over sin is when the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ himself, humbles us and we see the folly of our ways and we turn to trust him all the more. We say, we're going to trust you, our lawmaker and law keeper, with my life. And then he empowers us to have victory over sin. The Bible is God's story to rebels And it is a story of rescue. Our sin with his salvation, our guilt with his grace. The law forces us to face our sin and only the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified and raised can offer true forgiveness and healing. The law may curtail bad behavior, and we can give law all day long. Every Sunday you can hear lists and lists and lists of things of what a good person would do and what you ought to do and you got to do this and you don't do that. Better be a good person. But that will not transform the heart. Only the grace of God and the gospel can do that work. So, as you struggle and as I struggle and fight those habits those transgressions, those empty desires. God, the Holy Spirit, is going to bring them to your attention through prayer or through preaching of the word or the study of God's word or through your brothers and sisters around you. We're all together going to be like in a PET scan. They're going to come to the service. They might be aggravated. Those desires that you're not quite ready to to let go of and release. And that is the good work of becoming more like Jesus. Because as that work begins, the physician can cut him out. And so if you're here this morning saying, Pete's talking and I'm not listening anymore because I know those issues in my life. You know it right on top of your head. This is the issue that I confront that no one sees. And I want it out of my life then bring it to God in prayer. Cry out to the Lord for a transforming grace. Cry out to the lawmaker to say, you are the law keeper. Your righteousness is come to me, so Lord, make me right and holy. Teach me to live right. Bring me all the way home. Let's pray. Lord God, we are are prone to to avoid difficult subjects, to excuse ourselves. But God, in the words of John Owen, may we not speak peace to ourselves before you, O God, speak peace to us. Would you speak a word of peace into our lives right now? God, if there's anyone here who's struggling, 
with an addiction, with an issue of, of addiction or an issue of coveting perhaps or maybe an issue of, of gossiping that we confessed earlier. There's something in, in us, Lord, that we need to, to get off of our chest, that you need to cut out. Holy Spirit, come and do that good work right now. And Lord, if we're feeling just a heap of guilt and shame and we're being humbled and, and we're feeling that pressure of your hand upon us now, would you give us relief from that and lead us through this dark valley into your home of peace? Amen.